He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Thank you, Bill. Well, good morning, family. Um, Joe, can you dim this light right here? Because I cannot see anybody out there. There we go. Thank you. Appreciate Bill's reading of that. Salutation of, of Paul to... Um, the Philippians as he sends this letter back to them. And um, we're at our fourth week in our study of Philippians. And it struck me as I was thinking about this particular day that we've been thinking and studying Philippians just about as long as Paul was actually in Philippi. He wasn't there very long. And then he moved on, you know, ended up uh, Thessalonica, I can never say that word, and then Berea, and then on. And it would be some time before he'd get back to Philippi. But he, um, <clears throat> all right, let's see if we can get it to go. There we go. As we've looked at um, Philippi these last several weeks, one of the things we want to remember that Philippi was a Roman colony, and it's really important that as you read the book of Philippians and you hear what Paul is writing back to them, that the Philippians saw themselves as Roman citizens. 
and uh, with all the rights and privileges of Rome. And then as we talked about last week, Paul's real emphasis to the new believers in Philippi was that you're a colony and your citizenship is in heaven and you're ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And like our culture now, Philippi, the Philippian culture based on the Roman culture really was a, a society based on power. And it was a bloodthirsty society. They would stand um, there in the arena and applaud as gladiators slew one another and slew animals and fought. And sad to say that there are those today that stand in the arena and applaud as laws are written to sacrifice our young. And we, we have become, sadly, we have become in our culture very Roman, very much more so Roman. And so we, the letter to the Philippians is really a letter to us. And to take courage and recognize that our citizen, while we're Americans, our citizenship is in heaven. And we are ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was there in Philippi, you know, for not very many weeks. And he had several adventures as we've looked at these last four weeks. Um, you know, he met Lydia down by the, the stream, down by the river. And uh, she came to know the Lord and her household and then took care of them, ministered to them. He uh, ended up in prison with Silas because of exercising a demon out of a young slave girl. And that took away her master's, plural, ability to make a living because she could no longer foretell the future. And uh, that created quite a ruckus. And, uh, and then we have the situation where he is in jail and there's an earthquake and the chains are, and the doors are open, the chains fall off. And the Philippian jailer, if you remember last week, was going to slay himself. And Paul says, don't, we're still all here. And the jailer comes to know Christ takes them out of the jail, ministers to them, binds up their wounds, feeds them, and then eventually he and his household come to know the Lord as well. And then Paul moves on. And he doesn't see the Philippians for another four to five years after that. And it's, it's on his um, third missionary journey, which is shown here, as best we can tell, where he starts out again over here in Antioch, and he travels up this way, very similar to the second missionary journey through Philippi and on down, ultimately to Corinth. Then he retraces his steps, coming back through Philippi and then back this way and back to Jerusalem. And we pick that up, not in a great lot of detail, from Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And um, we don't know a lot about how long he was in Philippi those times. But after that, then, he makes another journey, not of his own choosing necessarily, and this is his journey to Rome as a prisoner. And so he, again, he travels from Jerusalem and sails, you know, up through, and ultimately what we know is Italy now up into Rome. And he's in house arrest there in Rome. Now, house arrest 
is a little bit different than going to prison. He had the ability to receive guests. He was in an accommodations as far as we can tell. He could write letters and he could um, conduct kind of personal business while he was waiting for his formal charges to be brought against him. And we know he was there for about two years. And it's during this period of time that he wrote, writes four letters that we have, um, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Three of those letters are to churches that he'd established to encourage them. And next week, Jerry is gonna take up our study in Philippians, I'm sorry, in Ephesians. And then one is written to Philemon, who is the owner of a slave, and he wants to talk to him about receiving this slave back that's also become a Christian, but there's some interesting things there. So it's during this time that he writes the letter back to the Philippians. Now, he does that, if you look at verses 20 or 2, 25 through 30 and 4, 18, there's basically five reasons that it, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I got ahead of myself. The Philippians, knowing that Paul's in prison, send Epaphroditus to minister to him, and they can do that. And so they send gifts with Epaphroditus to Paul, and we find there in 2.25.30 that um, they were sent by the Philippians to minister to Paul, but Epaphroditus becomes very, very sick, and the scriptures say almost to the point of death. And so out of concern for the Philippians, concern about Epaphroditus, Paul decides to send him back to Philippi to encourage them. And when Epaphroditus goes back, he carries the letter of Philippians from Paul to the Philippians. So that's the context of where the book of Philippians comes from, the letter to the Philippians. Now he writes it for five basic reasons. And if you're taking notes, I'll kind of slow up here a little bit so you can get them down. Or you can have the copy of my notes after if you want. But in uh, 4, 10 through 18, he wants to thank them for the gifts that they have sent. Now, we do that, too. We send gifts to our missionaries and to people we care for all around the world. And some of us have gone out to minister uh, to people around the world. And um, he also, he wants them to know why he's sending Epaphroditus back. And it's for their welfare because they've been very concerned about his health. He also wants to share his experiences in Rome, and that's the passage that Bill read for us this morning. You know, that he's recognizing that the experiences that I'm having, Paul writing, has been for the furtherness of the gospel. Now, they have experienced Paul being thrown into prison in Philippi, and they experienced that there was an earthquake and that Paul could have gotten away at that time, but did not. And they were eyewitnesses to that. And now, so there's, there's a reference there for when Paul writes back saying, the experiences that I have had, I recognize, even though I'm in prison again, are for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's going to be really important for the two major points I want to share with you this, this morning. If you look at Paul's life, he, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's thrown into prison. There's a whole bunch of things that Paul goes through for the furtherance of the gospel that most of us have never gone through yet. We may, 
but most of us haven't gone through those kind of things for the furtherance of the gospel to be an ambassador for Christ. And yet, that has happened to Paul and his point, number three there, I want you to understand that all this is for the furtherance of the gospel. Now remember when he was in Philippi, he's a Roman citizen and they threw him into prison illegally and he chose not to proclaim his citizenship because he was trusting whatever was happening to him at that point was for the furtherance of the gospel. And there's a real lesson there for us that when we're wronged, oftentimes the first thing we want to do is proclaim our rights, isn't it? To defend ourselves. Rather than saying, now wait a minute, maybe there's something in this for the furtherance of the gospel. Because the Lord says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to what? Our purpose? No. We're called according to his purpose. His purpose. So Paul is living out for us the very principle he's teaching to us, that it's not about standing up for our own rights, it's about trusting God to see us through to what is right. He also wants to encourage them into unity. And we saw last week about the two women that were having a scuffle with one another. And Josh and I did the little sword thing out here to emphasize that point. And that was fun and everything, but I hope you didn't miss the point, the whole point being that when we argue amongst ourselves, we're defeating the cause of Christ, okay? And Paul says, listen, girls, knock it off. Get along, because everybody's watching you, and you're hurting the cause of Christ. And unfortunately, in the church around the world, we do an awful lot of fighting amongst ourselves, and you know, it's over some sort of doctrinal issue or how we're going to do something, but it hurts the cause. Because again, remember what Paul is saying to us, we are ambassadors for the, for the kingdom, our citizenship is there, and we want to act like it. Love one another, be concerned for one another, take care of one another, and don't be fighting all the time. <clears throat> and then, he wants to warn them in 3-1 through 4-1 about false teachers and how to recognize true teachers as opposed to others that are just in it for their own selfish motivations. So in a nutshell, that is why he's writing. Now, what struck me as I was been going through all this with you the last four weeks is there's, there's two major characteristics for lack of a better term, of what it means to be Christ's ambassador. And one is the character of humility that we're gonna look at in just a moment, and that's in 129 through 218. And the other is the quality of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So let's take a look at what Paul's saying to us. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Philippians, and let's look at um, chapter 2 and see what Paul shares with us right here. He says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affliction and compassion, affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
And the one purpose is to glorify our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. By everything we do and say, that is what God has called us to do. And how do we do that? And then he just nails it right here. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. You know, and that is just the opposite of how we're wired. Because when sin entered in, we became all absorbed with self. And we're taught that in our society. It's all about you. Have it your way. We're bombarded with the message that do your own thing. You know, if you go to a high school graduation, every single time the valedictorian is going to tell you how you can get out there and you can do it your way. The future is yours. Go for it. And it's just the opposite of what God has called us to be for him. We're ambassadors, but we're also, the, he is Lord, master. He is our master. And Paul calls himself a slave to his master. And if we're a slave to our master, we're at the beck and call of our master. Another way to put it, like we've been sharing this morning, is we're ambassadors for him. So we're to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. So the question becomes this morning, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with considering the needs of others more important than your own? Wives, how are you doing that with your husband? Husbands, how are you doing that with your wives? Friends, how are you doing that with your neighbor, even the one that doesn't like you very much? How are you doing that with your coworkers? And the boss is a real pain, or the employee that's a real pain. How is this shaking out in your life? What about those relatives that are just difficult people to get along with? And you wish they'd just sort of move away because they always want Christmas in their place or whatever. Do not, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but have, but also for the interests of the others. And then he comes back to why. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about that he emptied himself, took on the form of a bond servant. Why? For us. For us. We sang this morning, you know, of our salvation because of what Christ did for us. While we were yet enemies with God, Christ went to the cross and died for you, and he died for me. He emptied himself, taking on the form, verse 7, of a bondservant made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God highly exalted him, bestowed upon him every name that is above every name, a name that Jesus Christ every knee should bow of those who are in heaven, and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, and he's talking to us, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Practice these things. It's not without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which when you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. The guarantee then is that he gives us 
his spirit to live within us, and we become the temple of God. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do Philippians 2 because our human nature is all about me. And it's only after God's Spirit causes us to be born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus, can we have a new nature. And that new nature is one that puts others first. It's a gift of God to be a servant. Do you realize that? It also, you know, remember last week we talked about James chapter 4, where it's, what's the source of quarrels and struggles among you? And James just nails it for us. and says the, the source is your selfishness. You want it, you don't have it, so you strive and you argue and you fight to get it. At the source of every quarrel that you have with anybody is selfishness. You want to remove quarrels? Ephesians chapter 2, the spirit of humility takes quarrels out of the situation. And there are difficult people, and we are going to run into them. And there are going to be those people in our lives that want to bind us in emotional prison. And you probably have some in yours. I know Joy and I do in ours. And they make life very, very difficult. And we can strive against that. Or like Paul being in that prison, we can say, God is working something here and I'm going to trust him through it. Paul could have declared his citizenship. See how important that little story is? He could have declared his citizenship and not gone into that prison. But yet by going into that prison, a jailer and his family was spared and saved and the gospel message was spread. When we stand up for our own rights, when we stand up for our own rights, we're limiting the power of the spreading of the gospel. But when we consider others more important than ourselves, we become the message of the gospel because we become like Christ. And that's what the world needs to see, the spirit of humility. We looked at a young lady, Lydia, last couple of weeks, and what she did. Now, Lydia is a Proverbs 31 woman. She is industrious. She's taking care of her family. She's a dealer in purple. She's a merchant. She is out there on the front line. She is dealing with wealthy people because it was only the wealthy that could afford to buy purple fabric. And yet she hears the gospel. She, Lord opens her heart. The scripture says she receives the gospel and all of a sudden this woman that is powerful in a way because she's prosperous, she has her own home, her families, she starts ministering to others and she invites Paul and Silas and others into her home and ministers to them. And the last place Paul is on his second missionary journey in Philippi is at Lydia's house before he leaves. Lydia is a picture of becoming a Christ-like servant when she, when she accepts the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord enters her life. The jailer is the same way because what does he do? He risks his life to take them out of prison and to bind up their wounds and take care of them. 
Are we willing to go that far to risk our life for the cause of the gospel because we're called to be servants? The second thing is rejoicing. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Now this passage is, is really, both of these to me are just really powerful passages. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is not easy, is it, always to rejoice in the Lord, given circumstances that we face in life. We have members of this body, this family here, that suffer daily emotional, spiritual, physical pain every single day. We can obviously think of Bonnie and Jim and the things they're going through just as one. Rita, same way. Larry's in the hospital. Difficult times, difficult circumstances physically. And those pains are tough. But the tougher pains are the emotional ones, the scars that have been inflicted by other people. You know the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, the opposite is true. It's the words that stick the knife in and cause the pain. And and Joy won't mind me saying this, but if any of you have ever seen Joy's handwriting, it is absolutely beautiful. And yet her mom told her one time when she was a young lady that her handwriting was ugly and she, she didn't like it. That is stuck with joy. That one little sentence is stuck with joy her whole life. And you have things like that too. I have things like that too. When those that you thought were your friends turn against you and say things about you that aren't true or accuse you of things you haven't done, those wounds go deep and they hold you in prison. But Christ sets us free from that. Because all things work together for good. Even those knives in our hearts can work for good if we allow him to use it. And we don't have to free ourselves from prison. We can be like Paul and stay in that prison and watch God work for the salvation of many. And we don't want to miss that point. We don't want to miss that. And in that knowledge, we can rejoice. I don't understand, Lord, what you're doing. I really don't understand. But I know you, and I know you love me. And my Savior went to the cross for me. And you're working this for good. And I would trust you to do it. And I will rejoice because you're doing it in my life. And because of that, you're spreading the gospel through my life. Because of that, I know I'm an ambassador for the God Most High. He goes on to say, "Mm, powerful stuff. Indeed, true comrade. Oops, I got to get in the right spot. (laughs) Uh, Okay, there we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, let your forbearing spirit be known be known to all men for the Lord is near. Now, here's something. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, yeah, right. 
How are you supposed to be anxious for nothing? You don't know the circumstances I am in, but God does. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's what you do. There are circumstances in our lives that are difficult, that are taking our joy away. They can be physical, emotional, spiritual, all these kind of things are taking our joy away. And the Lord says, give them to me. Tell me about them. Okay? I want to hear about it. I want to hear your heartache. I want you to talk to me about it. Tell me what you want out of this situation. Let your request be known to me. And the result of that is peace. The result of that is peace. Not that the circumstance may change at that exact moment, but the peace comes because you have the ear of the God of the universe most high that knows you intimately and knows the sorrow and the struggle in your heart. And he says, I want to talk to you about it. I want to come alongside. I want to comfort you. And he will. Joy, this last week and a half, has been in Spokane, ministering up there um, with our kids, whole another story. It's hard having her gone, you know, with the snow and all the cleanup and, and just working alone and everything like that. It gets lonely when your loved ones are gone, family's gone. And so I was praying about this, thinking about this, and I have a cousin over in um, Reno that I'm really close to, Bobby. We're about the same age. And out of the blue, she just called me up. We, you know, we just talked for an hour and a half, you know, about life. You know, it was so good to spend an evening with my cousin on the phone, just catching up. And then I got a wonderful email from one of my daughters-in-law, just asking how I was doing. And then a son called and said, Dad, how you doing? You know, and then another son calls. And Dad, you eating too much ice cream? Uh, I lied. <laughs> you got to do a few things with Joy's God. This is between us. God knows how to minister to our hearts, family. You know, he does. Joy's not home yet. The circumstances haven't changed. But God knew I was lonely, see. And I got invited over to, we're, we're not participating, obviously Joy's gone in this surprise uh, lunch thing we're doing. So I got a call from a family, hey, I know you're alone, come on over anyway. So I'm gonna do that, you know. Just the thoughtful things that the Lord puts in people's hearts to minister to a lonely guy whose wife's gone. Special little things like that. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension. And look at what it says. Shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The key is, we, mm, when we've got a problem, we dwell on it. Okay, don't we? We stew about it. And we worry about it. And we're anxious about it. And the Lord said, don't go there. It's a big time waste of time. Give it to me. Think on good things. And I will guard your heart and your mind against it. See? I can free you from the prison. I'll be your guard. I'll take care of you. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, should guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, okay, now I've given it to him. He's going to guard me. He's going to protect me. And he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good reputation or repute, if there is any excellence of anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind think on good things. Now, if you're taking the paper and you're listening to all the social media news, that's not filled with a lot of good things. Okay? But if you want something good, read the Iowa hog report. Hog prices are up. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? Anyway, silly point to drive home the point. Okay? Put your mind on good things. There are issues that are going on in life. Yeah. Give those to the Lord, and then train your mind to think on good things and not to stew on those that are negative, because they will drag you down. And Satan would love nothing more than to steal your joy and steal your ability to rejoice in the Lord. How do you rejoice in difficult times? Well, when Paul and Silas were in prison, they sang praises to God because they recognize in the difficult time of a prison, God is doing something special. And we're all prisoners someplace. <clears throat> recognize that God is doing something special and trust him through it, okay? Trust him through it. Think on good things. What are they in that rat-infested prison? They're not thinking about, well, maybe they were at some point, but they're, the emphasis of the story is they're not thinking too much about all the beatings they had just had and the pain of being there, bleeding, and the pain of being in stocks. They're rejoicing in God. Their mind is focused on a positive thing, that all things are working together for good. Now, this doesn't look very good, but God is doing something in the circumstance of your life when it doesn't look good. That's what Paul wants us to know. That's what Paul lived as an example. So we end where Paul, where Paul ends. For my God supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God, your God, is going to supply all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Hang on to that in those tough times, okay? Hang on to that when you're in prison, that my God is going to supply all your needs, and it is working together for good in your life and for the furtherance of the gospel. So when you're in prison, rejoice. Now to our God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We started this series by talking about crossroads. We all encounter, encounter crossroads where we meet other lives. When we come to a crossroad, what are they going to see? Are we going to see self-absorbed people or are they going to see Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful book of Philippians and thank you for the powerful truths that 
it conveys to us. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at this last four weeks. And Father, may you give us the strength and the courage to carry out and be obedient to what you've called us to do. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For we give you thanks for these wonderful promises in our dear Savior's name. Amen. All right.